Hello and welcome to the Penguin Podcast. I'm Connie Huck and in today's episode I'm joined by the creator of the much-loved Bridget Jones, Helen Fielding. Helen, welcome. Thank you. Great to have you here. Now, Helen is going to be telling us about the latest instalment of Bridget's Adventures, Bridget Jones's Baby. And she's brought along a selection of objects that have influenced and inspired her writing. So, Helen, in Bridget Jones's Baby, a very broody Bridget finds herself unexpectedly pregnant. Unfortunately, though, the happy news is dominated by a bit of an awkward question. The age-old question, who is the father? It's back to the old rivalry between the honourable and very decent human rights lawyer Mark Darcy and the charming womaniser Daniel Cleaver. So, why did you want to go back and tell the story of Bridget Jones's pregnancy? You know, the first book was really very much about the gap between how we all feel we're expected to be and how we actually are. Mm, mm, And I suppose this one, Bridget Jones's Baby, is really about the gap between how you feel you expect your life to turn out or how it ought to turn out and how it actually does. So Bridget always thought when she got pregnant, she would be with the sort of square-jawed love of her life in Mm. a this sort of tastefully converted farmhouse kitchen of a barn in Gloucestershire, and instead of which she's with a selection of plastered friends trying to figure out who the father is, you know. But it all turns out all right in the end. Well, look, let's hear the opening of Bridget Jones's Baby now, read by Samantha Bond. Dearest Billy, I have a feeling that you're going to find out about all this, so I thought you'd better hear how it all began from your own mum. These are the excerpts from my diaries and other bits and pieces from that rather confused time. Please don't be shocked. Hopefully you'll be old enough by the time you read them to understand that even your parents got up to this sort of thing. And you know, I've always been a bit naughty. The thing is, just as there is a big gap between how people think they are supposed to be and how they actually are, there's also a gap between how people expect their lives to turn out and how they actually do. But if you just keep calm and keep your spirits up, things have a habit of turning out all right, just as they did for me, because having you was the best thing that ever happened to me. Sorry about all this and everything. Love, Mum. Kiss. Bridget. Well, I mentioned that you've brought along a number of objects with you today, and your first object is very appropriately... Is it your diary, is this, or is it your notebook? Well, I always do keep a notebook. I don't write a diary in it, but I write lists of things to do, which I arrange in (laughs) four quadrants. It was in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and it's urgent, important, not important, not urgent, but I always get them rather mixed up. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of overlap. Oh, yes, and I'm crossing those. them out. And, you know, go to toilet. No, it should be urgent. <laughs> no, not urgent. Urgent, not important. And do you use those notebooks? So, for instance, when you were writing Bridget Jones, was a lot of the input into the book sort of taken from your personal notebooks then? I've always kept a diary or a notebook or something like that. And I was looking through my old university diaries and there was a tragic lack of social engagements, Aww. but all these lists of food with calories next to them. So there'd be sort of carrot, 15 calories, and yogurt, 115 calories, and then <laughs> entire box of milk tray, 4,862 calories. So, you know, in, in Bridget Jones's diary, I had the calories and the alcohol yes. units and things. <laughs> 
that was how I got the idea of the little lists at the yeah. top. And sometimes I jot down little ideas of sort of funny things that happen or, yeah. and things like that. So, for example, in this book, Bridget Jones's Baby, when I had my daughter, I had her by C-section. So I knew when she was going to be born and what she was going to be called. So I prepared um, a birth announcement, an email birth announcement. <laughs> Got it already, but the only thing was I pressed send all. Oh. <laughs> I then had to send another email to everyone saying, I'm really, really sorry, but I haven't actually had the baby yet. <laughs> and then when I did have her, I felt I couldn't send another one saying, I've had her now. <laughs> <laughs> so I put that in Bridget Jones's baby. And so I would, I'll generally keep a note of funny things that happen and then transfer it onto a file on my laptop and... And so on. So when I'm writing a book, I'm always, I'm like a magpie. Everything becomes material. Yeah, yeah. So early Bridget Jones, would you say that was based on you? Uh, well, when I first wrote the columns in The Independent that turned into Bridget Jones's diary, I wrote them anonymously because I was sitting on a desk with a lot of political commentators and I really thought the column would be stopped within six weeks for being too silly. <laughs> so then when it became a success, I was on the one hand delighted, on the other hand horrified because I kept myself private. Mm. And then suddenly <laughs> everyone thought this very exaggerated version was actually me, whereas in fact I never have got pregnant by two men or <laughs> eaten more than 30,000 calories in a day, I don't think. But I think her voice is very much one aspect of me mm. and most of the things that happen in there are either sort of nearly happened to me or happened mm. to a friend or something. It's all exaggeration. And do you think that having it written out as a diary was key to the success of Bridget Jones? Why do you think it works so well? I think I was quite lucky because I think there was a zeitgeisty thing going on at the time and the single woman in her 30s was still treated as if there was been a horrible mistake. Mm. Um, it was Miss Havisham, the spinster on the shelf, the tragic baron spinster who was going to end up dying alone and being found three weeks later half-eaten by a dog. And so I think lots of people were actually writing about that, and I just sort of got in there first. But I think also there, there's a very common thing that's sort of got worse in the 20 years since I first wrote Bridget of this gap between what you feel you should be like and what you are like. I and totally I think agree. Yeah. social media has just made it worse for kids now, and it's... How many likes did you get? And no one ever posts the miserable day or the no. unattractive it's picture. The, the or... plates of beautiful food that people, you know, yeah. and you're right. Everyone's sort of portraying this sort of fake version of themselves. It's quite a weird thing, it's isn't so it? Weird. It's almost trying to present life in a idealised way. Yeah, it's a bit creepy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, well, look, let's hear another extract from a Bridget Jones's baby. Bridget Jones has met her ex, Mark Darcy, at a mutual friend's christening. As Mark looked down at me with those deep, brown, soulful eyes, I asked myself, what would the Dalai Lama do in this situation? We sprang together like unleashed beasts, and continued in that manner in my hotel room for the rest of the night. Sunday, 25th of June. In the morning, we were still ravenous for each other, but also, crucially, food. There was no getting through to room service. 
I'll go grab us something from the buffet, said Mark, buttoning up his shirt. Don't you dare move. As he left the room, I heard a male voice in the corridor evidently greeting him. The conversation continued, got more heated, then abruptly ended, which was odd. I shrugged it off and snuggled down moonily, still shag-drunk, savouring flashbacks to the night before and arranging myself prettily for Mark's return. The door opened and he came in with a tray full of orange juice, coffee and chocolate croissants. Mmm, thank you. Do come back in, I said. But he set down the tray and remained standing. What's the matter? He started pacing. I've made a mistake, he said. Mind started spiralling. Horror, doom, pain, vulnerable in nighty and him in his suit. Not this. Not such passion and intimacy instantly replaced by pain and rejection. Not in my nighty. I wasn't thinking. I was carried away with emotion, with the joy of seeing you again. I had way too much to drink. We both did. But we cannot proceed. Proceed? That's a funny way to describe shagging. Bridget, he said, sitting down on the bed. I can't do this. I'm newly divorced. I'm not in a fit emotional state to take on a relationship at this point in your life. But I didn't ask you for that. I realise. But the question is undoubtedly there, whether it is verbalised or not. At your age, I simply... It would be wrong of me. I don't want to use up any more of your childbearing years. Oh, I know that feeling all too well, those childbearing years. I, I, I remember being in my mid-thirties thinking, ah, I'm not going to have the do Bridget really does strike a chord with so many women. So what's your next object, Helen? A chair, I believe. Oh, yes. I like to write with a sense of cosiness rather than city to right, We haven't brought a chair into the studio, but... This is, oh, this is a photo. Oh, that is, it's a very cosy looking armchair. It looks, it's a sort of very soft velour upholstered chair. Well, it's actually an old Parker Knoll armchair ah. that belonged to my mum, but I've had it covered about four times. I always <laughs> write in the same chair. So, I oh, so it gets to... a bit threadbare after a while yeah. from, right, from it's good usage. It's very comfy and cuddly. It looks very comfy and, and cuddly. I always end up sitting in that chair. So this chair has been with you from the beginning, has it? Did you pen some of your yeah. early columns in this chair even? Yeah, I've had it for years and years and years and it's been various different colours. And, oh, really? Um, so at yeah. the moment it's a sort of beautiful dusky pink colour, but what other <laughs> incarnations has it I had? I think when I wrote the first Bridget Jones it was yellow and white stripes and right. I lived in a flat not unlike Bridget's in the movie with slopey ceilings and it had curtains which I made myself and pinned up <laughs> but then couldn't be bothered to hem them. And when I actually left that flat ten years later, the pins were still in, all rusty. Oh. So when you were a child, just rewinding back a bit earlier, did you have aspirations to be a writer? Yes, I always wanted to be a writer. I think I always enjoyed sort of faffing and fiddling around with words. So we've already met Bridget and we've met Mark. Time now, though, to meet Daniel Cleaver in another extract from the audiobook read by Samantha Bond. 10.30pm. Daniel's flat. I stood in Daniel's familiar designer shag pad 
overlooking the Thames. All the car companies were still currently experiencing unexpected delays. Seen Darcy since he returned? said Daniel, holding out a glass of champagne. In emotional ignominy and failure? Hardly surprising for a man who looks in the mirror every morning and is startled by a complete stranger. Did he weep after sex or before, or was it during? I forget. Right, Daniel, that's enough, I said indignantly. I have not come into your flat to be treated to a litany of very unpositive, bad karmic vibes about somebody who... Suddenly, Daniel kissed me on the lips. Oh, God, he was such a great kisser. No, no, we mustn't, I said weakly. Yes, yes, we must. You know the one thing people most regret when they're about to die? Not that they didn't save the world or rise to the pinnacle of their career, but that they didn't have more sex. Tuesday, 27th of June. 8 p.m. My flat. Staring psychopathically at phone. Still no word from either of them. Is this going to go on for the rest of my life? Am I going to be getting drunk on sherry with Mark and Daniel over dominoes in the old people's home, then getting furious because they've shagged me and haven't asked me to play Scrabble? 8.05pm. Cannot believe I am still behaving like this after sex after all these years, as if I have sat an exam and am waiting for my results. I'm going to call Shazza. 8.15pm. Doesn't count with exes, decreed Shaz. That's exactly what Miranda said. Why? Because you've already fucked up the relationship. So I already know I failed. 8.30pm. I am going to give up men. I eschew them. So I've got to ask you, Helen... Um, and you might have been asked it many times before, but who do you prefer as a character? Mark Darcy or Daniel Cleaver? I think that's impossible to say. I completely adore both of them. I think I've got them both mixed up with the actors who played them, particularly Colin. You know, that character was originally invented when the BBC's Pride and Prejudice was going out. So Mr yeah. Darcy became Mark Darcy, who was also... Colin first, and mm -hmm. they're all mixed up into a delicious <laughs> hybrid. And Daniel Hugh, I, I love writing that character, who was just a sort of sexy bastard, really. You know, and I think a lots of people know that yeah. guy. And also, I love the fact that Daniel's so witty. I like the way he teases Bridget, and the fact that he likes that she's funny. You know, so that's their sort of yeah, thing. their chemistry. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're going to move on to your next object now, which you haven't been able to bring into the studio because it's probably bigger than this studio. It's, mm. in fact, your Airstream trailer. Um, so tell us a bit about... The, is there a picture of it? Yeah, well... Oh, in, here we go. Oh, that's a cool-looking trailer. It is cool, It's it? Yeah, it's one of those sort of shiny, steel, American trailers. It's very funky. Um, Silver bullety things, mm. yeah. When I'm in America, I also like to write somewhere cosy. Mm. But when my kids were little, you know that thing where they're sort of two, three years old? If they just see you, that's it. You have to go and be with them. Yeah, I so, have to hide sometimes. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Yeah. So I got this Airstream trailer. I had to crane it over the garage to get it into the garden. Oh, wow. But I really loved it. It's like a little cave inside and it's all... Uh, 
aluminium and walnut and oh nice it's really cool so is this where you write when you're in america yeah Ah, that's funny because that's very American. And your armchair, your Parkinol armchair is very English. Yeah. So you've got very apt places to the environments yeah. that you're writing in. Yeah. Would Bridget ever venture across the pond? I don't know. It's a hard city to write about LA because it's such an easy target in lots of ways for mm. comedy. But I would like to write about LA. Watch this space. We might have had an exclusive there. Uh, let's see. So the film adaptations of the Bridget stories have been hugely successful. What's it like working on a screenplay? Well, it's much more difficult than writing a novel because a novel you can make anything you want happen and you can sort of work at your own pace. And I think writing comedy's got lots of layers. You know, it has to have its structure and it has to have its themes and the jokes come out of the themes and... So there's a lot of, I don't know, it's almost like making some cloth or something. Mm. You've all got bits of threads hanging out. and You've got to weave it all together. This, that and the yep. other. And if someone comes along in the middle, they don't understand what you're trying to do. And so a film is more difficult because it's very collaborative and harder to sort of get it to the finish line yeah. than with a novel. Well, it's time for another extract from the audiobook of Bridget Jones's Baby, and Bridget is about to receive some life-changing news. As we drove through the streets to the late-night chemist, I felt like I was driving through the graveyard of my fertile years. There, the tree where Daniel threw my knickers after the Pergamon Press Christmas party. There, the corner where Mark and I had our first kiss in the snow. There, the doorstep where Mark Darcy first said, I love you, just as you are. Back in the flat, Shazza was banging on the bathroom door. It takes two minutes, OK? I said. What if she's pregnant with both of them, like twins? I heard Tom whisper loudly. You can't, hissed Miranda drunkenly. The first sperm blocks the second or something. What about when someone has one black twin and one white twin? That's different eggs, but the same sperm. This is not how I had imagined this moment would be. I thought I would be with the square-jawed love of my life in a renovated farmhouse in the Cotswolds with poured concrete floors and shaggy rugs, possibly interior designed by Jade Jagger. This is just completely ridiculous. A woman can't have black eggs and white eggs, growled Shazza. Speckled eggs, suggested Tom, as I emerged from the bathroom. Look, she's got the stick. Give me that. Shazza and Tom both lunged at the stick, knocking it out of my hands. We watched as it twirled up into the air and landed gently on the carpet, then stared at it in awed wonder. There was an unmistakable blue line across the little window. You can't be a little bit pregnant, finished Tom, Amazing, said Miranda. I couldn't believe it. In the background, I could hear the friends continuing. But she's been drinking and smoking. Oh, my God, you're right, she's killed a baby. The baby's dead, and she doesn't know who the father is. What are we going to do? But none of it mattered at all. I felt like trumpets were tooting and harps were tinkling. Clouds were parting the sun's rays bursting through while little birds tweeted with joy. I was having a baby. So time now for your next object, which is a travel brochure. 
I find writing quite hard. So I spend quite a lot of time looking at travel brochures or Googling holidays I will never go on. <laughs> and I sometimes get quite advanced in the process. So I actually might plan and even semi-book an entire trip that I'm never <laughs> going to go on. But it's almost unbearable sometimes actually writing. So I need to have something else that I can just, like yeah. I'll write a sentence and then go off and Google this trip and then go back to the sentence again. It's a very odd way of working. No, I sort of understand that in a bizarre way. You sort of reach a, a limit and then you think, well, I'll, I'll go and check what sort of plunge pool there might be nearby or something yeah. on your mythical holiday. And yeah. you almost probably start believing that yeah. this mythical holiday is real, you know. Yeah, it's an escape. And also I think writers all have a sort of runway where they have to faff around before they actually start. And everyone feels guilty about it, but it's just part of the process, really, where you have to sort of go to the fridge and eat something and maybe put some yeah. makeup on and, and basically mm. waste time till you've settled down. Yeah. And does it help you often if you've got a writer's block or something like that, just to take a dip in the pool or go and relax yes, on the beach does. in the magazine? It does, but it also wastes a lot of time. <laughs> and then I do find there's also a part of the process where I'm sort of, because I was always a journalist, I respond very well to deadlines. Ah, right, And yes. so there's always gets to a point where I actually have got to the real deadline and everyone's cross with me. And then I get into a sort of not Googling the whole days anymore and just yeah. a panic. And then I write very fast for hours and hours. You see, that's the thing. I think it's a certain type of person because I, if I've got 10 minutes before I need to leave the house, I think, oh, well, I'm early. But yes, I'm not yes, early. I do that too. It will take me that long to pick up my keys and do all that stuff. So then I'll take it to the point where I really am late, but I need to be at that point to get out the house. Yeah, I think it's, it's... you like the excitement of it a little bit. <laughs> it's, yeah, it must be a character trait thing. Okay, so let's hear one final extract from Bridget Jones's Baby. Saturday, 7th of October. Calories, 4,824. But I'm pregnant, right? So world of food is my oyster, though not oysters, obviously, as toxic to baby. Toasted bagels, three. Potassium or fibre. Cheese, eight ounces. Protein, but not goat's cheese. Soft cheese, toxic to baby. Broccoli, three florets. Excellent crossover food, but doesn't count as threw up after. Baby hates broccoli. Cheesy potatoes, three. Baby loves cheesy potatoes, and unborn babies have an instinctive knowledge of what they need. 4pm. Just back from baby shopping. Have bought completely adorable peach play suit with a floral bandana from I Love Gorgeous and laid it out on the bed for all the world like it is a little baby girl. Almost wonder if could purchase doll baby to dress it up in to practice. But would that be creepy? I'm so excited, but at the same time find self feeling strangely lazy, sleepy and distracted, almost as if I'm a bit stoned. Must make sure no one finds out about this at work just yet. Also, probably not tell mum just yet. Also, I'm definitely going to really mentally address the issue of the father. Definitely. But we'll just take a minute to relish how lovely it is. I'm going to have a baby. 
So sadly, we've heard the final clip and it's time now for your final object. And this is the source of everything, the font of all knowledge. Well, not quite, but this is the brains behind the operation, the laptop. So is this laptop the laptop that you write all your books on? I tend to get a new one, actually, when I start a new book. Ah. And it's a bit of an extravagance, but I really give it some hammer when I'm writing a book. Yeah. You know, it's sort of... It's not just the amount of stuff on it. It's more the amount of goo in it. You know, things get spilt in it, ants get in it, coffee (laughs) gets in it, chocolate gets in it. Yeah, I think I wrote my first ever book years and years ago on a typewriter. So it's great to have a laptop now that you can just take everywhere, have it on your knee, back up all the time. Don't have to change the ribbon. no. Um, I have had some sort of disasters with not backing up, so I back up all the time to right. a cloud. Yeah, now. yeah. But no, it's a great thing, the, the laptop. And I often wonder whether writing is better with laptops or without, because in the old days, you had to just sort of write it down. You couldn't mm. keep changing it. And I rewrite in a ridiculous way. I can't write an email without spending hours on it. Just changing and changing and changing, which is why my punctuation and spacing is so awful. But I wonder whether all that grooming of your language actually does make it better or whether it's just a neurotic tick, because you can. That's a really good question. Does it actually change the the end product? And on the subject of technology, the world has obviously changed quite a bit since the original Bridget Jones was dreamt up in the 90s. Do you feel that it's all still very relevant? Because obviously people are always going to have babies and relationships. And will things change going forward? Well, I think um, certain things change and maybe Maybe I flatter myself, but I think that people are less inclined to ask the question, why aren't you married yet? And when are we going to get yes. you married off? And TikTok, TikTok. Hurrah. You know, there's lots of good reasons why a woman would be single in her 30s. And what is consistent is the um, directness of speaking through a diary, which means that you're relating to the reader in the way that women relate to each other. Mm. So women in general, in my experience, do not meet each other and say, oh, my God, I'm so beautiful, thin and successful and wow. Apart from on Instagram. (laughs) Yes, exactly. They tend to share insecurities and comfort and support each other. And so I think maybe that's the thing that continues. Yeah, definitely. I've got to ask, is there another Bridget Jones novel inside that laptop? Uh, No, but there are bits of all sorts of novels in there. I'm Ah. always trying things out. So, um, I don't know, maybe something will come of one of them. How intriguing. So what's next for you, Helen? Um, I don't know. I do. I am sort of working on a few ideas and mm-hmm. fiddling around with notes and things like that. Um, I'd probably like to get the musical going at some point. Oh, we started yeah. working on it, never finished it. So that would be great. And then Mad About the Boy, the fourth in the series... You know, at some point, I'd like to make that into a movie. Yeah, I'm sure it So, um, yeah, there's always things to be done. Lots in the pipeline. Well, it's been brilliant speaking to you. Thank you so much. We all love Bridget Jones and we look forward to seeing what's in store next. Thanks, Thank Helen. you. It's been really fun. New from Penguin Random House Audio, My Not-So-Perfect Life. The fizzingly fresh and funny new standalone novel from number one best-selling author Sophie Kinsella. 
Katie Brenner has the perfect life. A flat in London, a glamorous job and a super cool Instagram feed. OK, so the truth is, she rents a tiny room with no space for a wardrobe, has a hideous commute to a lowly admin job and the life she shares on Instagram isn't really hers. But one day, her dreams are bound to come true, aren't they? First, it could be worse. As commutes go, it could be a lot worse and I must keep remembering this. Second, it's worth it. I want to live in London. I want to do this. And commuting is part of the deal. It's part of the London experience. Like Tate Modern. Actually, it's not much like Tate Modern. Bad example. My dad always says, if you can't run with the big dogs, stay under the porch. And I want to run with the big dogs. That's why I'm here. Anyway, my 20-minute walk to the station is fine. Enjoyable, even. The grey December air is like iron in my chest, but I feel good. The day's begun. I'm on my way. My coat's pretty warm, even though it costs £9.99 and came from the flea market. It had a label in it, Kristin Bior, but I cut it out as soon as I got home. You can't work where I work and have Kristin Bior in your coat. You could have a genuine vintage Christian Dior label, or something Japanese. Or maybe no label, because you make your clothes yourself out of retro fabrics that you source at Alfie's Antiques. But not Kristin Bior. As I get near Catford Bridge, I start to feel a knot of tension. I really don't want to be late today. My boss has started throwing all sorts of hissy fits about people, swanning in at all times. So... I left an extra 20 minutes early, in case it was a bad day. I can already see. It's a god-awful day. They've been having a lot of problems on our line recently, and keep cancelling trains with no warning. Trouble is, in London rush hour, you can't just cancel trains. What are all the people who are planning to get on the train supposed to do? Evaporate? Step into the joyous and haphazard world of Sophie Kinsella, with the audiobook available now to download and own from Audible and iTunes.